Hi, everyone. Uh, I am your host today, current professional hockey player, Connor Carrick. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Competitor Podcast. Our guest today is David Arsenault. Comes highly recommended uh, from a couple close friends of mine. John Landry, who was a stallmate and teammate back in the day with the Hershey Bears. I was a, a young punk, and, and John was on the end of his career, uh, taking me under his wing. And John Jeller, uh, the you know man I've made decently famous on this podcast for introducing me to my, my love for coffee and an outstanding uh, trainer and just presence in the Toronto Maple Leafs locker room. He's still there. Uh, David is a former Taekwondo champion, uh, representing Canada on in the international stages uh, multiple times. He then went on to found a Taekwondo, uh, Taekwondo school, sorry, uh, to then train uh, professional athletes and executives in the area. The name I think is beautiful. It's called uh, Pain Station. Some of the, the big time athletes include Matt Lombardi, Vincent LeClavier, uh, Mike Matheson, Louis LeBlanc, and I'll throw John Landry in, uh, as a gift there. Uh, and now is in uh, his current work, uh, which is will be a, a big part of the uh, highlight of this podcast, is uh, Champions for Life, uh, where David uh, tries to bring physical literacy uh, maybe to populations who wouldn't otherwise uh, have uh, s- such a well-educated and inspirational uh, coach and figure to, to help shepherd that uh, David, is there anything you know I really missed in the intro there? I, uh, oh my goodness, that's great. Uh, aside from being a, a father, um, two great kids who are 18 and 17, married for 21 years, uh, with my wife for 30 years, uh, kind of like at the tail end of high school sweethearts, if you will. And uh, thank you for having me on. This is a, a real pleasure. Uh, John and I go way back and uh, he speaks highly of you and thought, you know, we should make this happen. So I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, John was one of the uh, one of the first people I met in hockey, you know, for a long time. There's these parts of we all have of ourselves and and we have these these stories that, you know, this part of me serves me and this part of me hinders me. Mm-hmm. And I was always a very thoughtful person, a, you know, kind of busy minded. Um, you know, creative, uh, you know, very curious, hence the Curious Competitor podcast. And John was someone that I was really excited. I'm like, he seems to have a decent balance. Yeah. He's thoughtful. He's curious, uh, but highly professional, highly competitive. He's played mm-hmm. a long time. He was, you know, 31 or 32 at the time, still playing pro hockey. Um, and I think, you know, what always drew me to John was just the fact that, uh, not to make this a podcast about John Landry, but he was a division three player, you know, still in his thirties playing, making good money, uh, you know, in a good American uh, hockey league team with an NHL, you know, opportunity to get called up. He didn't, uh, the season that, you know, we had played together, but I mean, as a player, all you really want to do is maximize your potential. And when I was always with John, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you were a part of this. And then he, he mentioned that I felt like he was a player that did that. He really scratched the ceiling uh, to his potential. He's still so competitive. I doubt he'd admit that. Um, but he has a lot to be proud of in his career. Yeah. So on John Landry, I couldn't say anything, uh, but great things. One, it starts with a great family, um, you know, older brother and sisters and great parents. Um, I've had the pleasure to, to know and meet all of them and even, uh, you know, be at family dinners and everything with them. And, it really starts there with John. You can see that. Then the education, for sure. Uh, priority on the education. And John has always been a person who, like you said, that balance of wanting to be the best you can be in everything that you do. Um, 
really stands out for me uh, when when thinking of John and keeping that balance. And I think it starts with family. Yeah, I agree. He had, he uh, he was someone that just had certain gravity to him, certain certain texture, certain uh, knowingness, uh, and I was really drawn to that as as a young player. And uh, I, I also think he saw a lot in me, my curiosity, and said, "Hey, I want to help you know this kid not." get yeah. this out of them in pro hockey sometimes. And, and, you know, they were, they want you to just be, you know, soldiers North South, not thinking. And I get it. There's a time for that. But so David, help me understand. I've always been, I think as team sport athletes, uh, you know, if you talk to a lot of my teammates, we always draw a lot of inspiration from uh, mixed martial artists. I think, yeah. you know, that realm and, and practice is in- incredibly fascinating as well as, uh, you know, business leaders, and then maybe the third prong would be military leaders. Um, you know, so you're the first. So what was your introduction uh, to Taekwondo and what was your rise through the ranks like um, as, a, as a young athlete? Yeah. So funny enough, I was a hockey player, played baseball and soccer and did all your typical team sports growing up. And I grew up with two older brothers, uh, Mark and Steve, Steve being the oldest and um they uh, were five and seven years older than me, and they were really good athletes, like uh, good hockey players. I had a, a brother who played um, junior AAA uh, before junior major was a real thing. Uh, that was probably the highest level. And then um, he played uh, University of uh, Concordia. He was a goaltender. And then uh, my brother Mark was a center forward and amazing playmaker played uh, at a collegiate level, uh, AAA, and uh, was kind of marred by injuries a little bit, but was was uh, recruited and scouted, but, but followed the school route and uh, got, uh, uh, you know, interested in a girl from uh, Victoriaville where he was playing. And um, so I was, you know, 13 years old and I was doing the hockey thing and I really liked it, but my brother's friend uh, who lived on the street was a black belt in Taekwondo. And he said, Hey, why don't you come and try it? So I was looking for something maybe a little bit different over the summer, discovered Taekwondo and said, Hmm, there's something here. And then that's the time I went into, uh, I was in high school and I was discovering team sport, uh, individual sports like badminton and wrestling and judo and track and field. And so I, I really like this whole performance element of these sports. Like, can you throw a shot put as far as you can or a javelin or, you know, jump over these hurdles or gymnastics, you know? So I was, I was starting to soak all these different movement uh, patterns and, and ways to express yourself through movement uh, at that age. I had already a great base in, in multiple sports, but for some reason the Taekwondo uh, really stuck out you know, and I'd wrestled a little bit too. So I liked that combative component. Um, I remember when we were growing up, I was maybe eight, nine years old. Me and my brothers would go to Quebec city, uh, hang out with my cousin. And, uh, we'd basically have like a fight club. So my cousin would say, Hey, my little cousin, you know, and I was maybe four or five years old, older than his friends can take you on. And they'd say, shut up, you know, and, uh, I'd go and I, punch him in the face and <laughs> have a fight would start. Sure. So I, I'd always be, you know, like kind of scrappy as a kid, uh, scrappy with my brothers too. Let me play hockey. No, you're too young. Shut up. And, you know, I'd slash their friends and 
a fight would ensue. And, uh, you know, and I'm saying, you know, not a, a full out uh, brawl, but I like this uh, combative side and uh, the martial arts really appealed to me. So it wasn't until about I was 16 years old that I really turned the corner and, and I decided that this was the sport that I wanted to do. Uh, actually watching one of my best friends uh, today, Dickens Matherin, who um, won national championships in front of my eyes. He's the same age, 16 years old, fighting a guy about a foot taller than him uh, in uh, the 1988 uh, qualifier for the Olympic team. And, uh, and he won. And uh, I was really, uh, I was like, that's what I want to do. So uh, I didn't, didn't look back. I, uh, Got my black belt at the age of 18 and you know that very year I was on the provincial team and starting to compete uh, nationally and I guess uh, the rest is, is history from that point but um, you know I I was an athlete uh, like many athletes going to school trying to figure you know working uh, trying to figure things out uh, in a full-time relationship very committed committed to everything that I was doing and um, I was, uh, you know, from year to year competing nationals. It's a one, you know, imagine it's a showcase where you got to win to go to the international meets. And if you miss your chance, you know, uh, second on the podium doesn't get you there. You know, you got to be first. So it took me quite a few years to get on uh, the first place on the podium uh, at the national level. It took me 10 years. And, um, it was 10 amazing years. You know, I like the training more than I like the competing. Uh, although I'm, I'm scrappy. Um, I tend to, uh, be, I like, I like the game more than, you know, the outcome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like to be in the game, playing the game. Uh, I, I play hockey now. It's been the past three years uh, and I play as a player. And it's fun. I play with Matt Lombardi and a few a few other guys. And you can imagine, you know, I stopped playing hockey at the age of 13, 14. And I pick it up about, you know, uh, 25, 30 years later. And, and it's like, um, it's so fun. But to be playing with people of that level, you know, at this stage, it's uh, it's a blast because, you know, they let me, <laughs> they, they let me get away with a lot of things. but. Uh, you know, I think the, um, uh, and we're going to speak about physical literacy, but, you know, the way that uh, we use sport and physical activity and martial arts and everything that I've learned in my life has given me the opportunities that I've had today in my life. Well, I think one of the reasons I, you know, was so excited to, to talk to you is you have this intimate relationship with, you enjoy and, and lean into and find opportunities purposely to be a beginner. Mm -hmm. And you really enjoy process. Cause you know, when you hear someone at the top of their game, striving to become a national champion for 10 years, like inside that could be hell for 10 years for mm -hmm. someone that's really focused on hating to lose. And, you know, they, you know, kind of the Muhammad Ali quote, right? Like I hated every second of training, but I just knew I would be a champion. And, you know, you know, some of those lines of logic deserve a bit of, of scrutiny because mm -hmm. I really appreciate your, your relationship with 
the effort, uh, the goal setting, the, the, the refreshing of, you know, okay, what did I do last year that, you know, I, I didn't finish first, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where does that come from and, and how does that eventually lead to pain station? So you are, you know, competing uh, in Taekwondo, an avid trainer and, and really someone who enjoys, you know, the, the monotony or the consistency of showing up every day to be, you know, people say 1% better. That's a massive percentage. I don't think you get 1% better every day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eventually become a, you know, successful trainer and, and business owner with pain station. Great question. I think that it's a journey for each, you know, I didn't start as an amazing trainer and I didn't start as an amazing athlete and I'm still training to the day, to this day. And, um, I would say that, um, you know, it is a willingness to get better of recognizing where you are in the moment and saying, this is great. I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm going to invest to do a little bit better and get that 1% better, you know, whether it's in a day or a week or, or whatever, but it's really also, um, with the people who you're on that journey with. So a lot of the, um, people that I trained with in my career, you know, are lifelong friends. Um, we had the same struggles, the same battles, we had the same objectives. So that camaraderie, you know, and we're not in the same divisions necessarily, so we're not competing with each other, but we're competing for the same goal. And we all have our different interests and backgrounds. And, uh, you know, so I line my, my life up to be a martial artist like you've lined your life up to be an athlete, a hockey player. You know, that means something. That There's a certain, you know, DNA, there's a certain composition that your body becomes, that your mind becomes, that your spirit is aligned with, um, and you just walk this earth being and in, in feeling and thinking a certain way. So um, to me, the appeal of martial arts is kind of that continual improvement. You know, there's a term, a Japanese term for, for workers to improve the workspace called Kaizen. And uh, that really resonates with me. I, I, um, I think that martial arts is, you know, re repetition, refinement, when you, you think about the 10,000-hour uh, principle, you know, of becoming a master or, or mastering a, a skill, um, Taekwondo is, is, or martial arts is a system to, you know, get you to a certain level with mind, body, spirit, you know, and, and I see the same thing for any discipline, whether it's music, whether it's um, a profession, whether it's a sport like hockey or or whatever it might be and um so that journey for me that 10 year 11 year journey of competing internationally and nationally was um one where i get to learn these skills and, and try to refine myself and better myself in every way possible you know um the training was two four six hours a day easily uh five six seven days a week you know, sometimes I train 20 days in a row and take three days off. And it was just wherever you can get it, anytime you can get it. Uh, I do. I did probably in the first, I would say, uh, three quarters of my career, more than half of my training alone. You know, so because I live far from uh, the training 
facility and, and, you know, an hour and a half bus ride. I'd, I'd go to school. I, I'd wake up in the morning, uh, go for a jog, stretch out, you know, five to six or, or, or six 30. And then I get ready, go to school, train a little bit at lunch. Then I'd, you know, get back on the bus, go directly uh, downtown, an hour and a half bus ride, study on the bus, be at the training center, train two, three hours, come home on, on the bus, you know, uh, study again, get in at 11, you know, and then start the next day at 5 a.m. again, you know, and it's because you love what you do, you know, and you find every way possible to, to advance. And I, I think that you wouldn't keep going if you didn't see incremental uh, improvement and results. And if you didn't have a goal that you can aspire and, and reach every day. And, um, you know, there was a lot of crash and burn as well. You know, I, I there was like big anticipation, go to the meet and it comes down or you win some meets. And, you know, so there's lots of ups and downs and, and pits and valleys. But at the same time, it's, you know, if you equate it to one thing, you know, you're always living. I, if I can get to that level, then I'll be happy. I'll be, I will have achieved something. I will be, and, you know, fast forward at the end of my uh, athletic career, I felt like I was just at the beginning. You know, I felt like I have done all this training to be the person that I am today. And I've got so much to give um, that now I feel like I can really be the athlete that I want to be. And it was at that stage that pain station started. So I got a call from Kent Hughes, um, the now GM of the Montreal yeah, Canadiens, which is pretty, pretty crazy. And he said, Hey, would you, uh, I have a friend, we have a friend in common and uh, you, uh, come highly recommended because you could do Olympic weightlifting and plyometrics. And he told me your, your whole background. I'd studied exercise science at uh, Concordia university. So I had the, the academic uh, background as well, mm. but I didn't have the profile of a trainer. I was teaching Taekwondo training Taekwondo. And that was my last year. I, I knew I was going to retire. And um, so this just happened serendipitously. And I said, sure, if, uh, if they can train with me, then I'll be happy to, uh, to train them. So I had basically won national championships on a Saturday. Um, and on the Monday, I started training uh, Matt and three other, uh, three other athletes, Nick Kuyper, um, Dan Hudgen, and Sean Collymore. I don't know if you know Sean, but he played in the American Hockey League as well. And, uh, yeah, and basically on, on the uh, Saturday before, I had kicked somebody in the mouth, uh, knocked their teeth out, and had a huge cut on the outside of my, on the outside of my foot. I had three more matches after that. They'd put in six staples into my ankle. And so I showed up to the first training session with crutches um, and this huge thing in a public gym. You know, I didn't even have my own space. Yeah. So it was it was pretty surreal, and uh, and so began the the journey of Pain Station. 
you know, and uh, what followed was probably another 15 years of, you know, sharing my experience with athletes and helping them uh, on their journey and having a great stable of athletes, but a great stable of trainers in which we were able to, um, you know, all share our passion, our personal experience and, uh, and our skills, you know, to, to make these athletes uh, better and, and help them along their journeys. I think the, you know, trainer and, and coach in, at general and player relationship is really a special one. I, I think of some of the, the really special people that I've had the chance to work with over the course of my career. And, and I, I value their ability and their knowledge and, and their push to, to help me get to where I want to go so greatly. And it, it's funny, you, you were talking about you know, sort of the DNA of being a mixed martial artist. This is this is the you know a part of your ego and, and the way that you walk through the world is how you present yourself. And there's a certain way that everything is done in accordance to you know that part of of being. And I was thinking uh, we're playing a game yesterday, and uh, you know I'm a little bit further down you know mind body spirit. I'm a little bit further down my spiritual you know journey now as I was a young player. And it was a rainy day. We've been playing a lot of hockey. We've got like six games in eight nights. You know, minutes have been heavy, which I'm proud of. And, and you know, that's what you want as a player, right? You want that. Everyone wants big minutes, so they've got to play them. Right? And then, you know, it's a whole different element. And I'm sitting there before the game, and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not positive. I generally feel like playing in, at this exact second. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, let's say it's a 7 o'clock game. It's 530. And I just had the reflection. I'm like, so like I've played lots of great games where I didn't necessarily feel like playing at five 30, but at seven it's game time. We're going to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain training of the DNA that, you know, I'm really grateful for having and, and maybe even more grateful now as I get older of, of even recognizing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you mentioned the word Kaizen. I think uh, I actually saw recently Marcus Stroman, I was a pitcher assigned with the Cubs named his uh, son, Kai Zen, I, you know, yeah. first middle name, which I thought was, yeah. um, you know, super, cool. I don't think my wife would have went for it. Uh, we went with China, <laughs> of a more standard, but, yeah. but um, super cool. And, and, you know, I think that that's uh, why the name pain station is something I have written down. I think that, you know, there was, mm-hmm. I, I, think I may have cheated and heard this answer, uh, but I thought it'd be really cool to share with our listener. Yeah, so it didn't come right away, actually. Um, Sounds like nothing does. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing comes right away. If only, right? Uh, but then it wouldn't be fun. Uh, yeah, it's so true. I think that we were, well, there wasn't a group. It, it started off with a little group, and then there wasn't a place. So the after a year, um this started to be a thing where, oh, these people are going to come back next summer. You know, they want to do this again. And um, next summer looked, you know, more like 12 people training. The first summer was four. And then those 12 become, you know, 25 and 30 and, you know, eventually around 50 or or so athletes training in the summer. And um, after about well, the second year I said, we've got to get out of this public gym. You know, there's too many distractions and we can't do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took a high school gym 
and kind of refurbished their training facility. There was, it was really a dungeon and uh, pulled together whatever equipment we can pull together. And then the summer after that, I, um, I, I bit the bullet and said, okay, I'm going to rent the place, you know, and made it our own and slapped paint on. And it was an old uh, men's club. And, you know, we, we turned it into this training facility over some garages where we can make all the noise we want to make. And um, so pain station was born, I think because we were near the train station. Oh, right. Cool. And there was this play on words and there was always this no pain, no gain type of mentality that was being tossed around, not necessarily within us, but within society. And, you know, to have pain without purpose is meaningless, you know, um, and realizing that, you know, to get to another level, there is a level of discomfort, you know, to break the atmosphere, we have to burn a lot of fuel, you know, and um, there's a Buddhist philosophy uh, called leaning into the points. And that means that, you know, instead of running away from something, um, you stay with it, you know, so you, you have a challenge in front of you. And if it's a meaningful challenge, meaning, you know, you have to face adversity, you have to face a fear, you have to confront you know reality um a lot of it is just opening your eyes to what are the true challenges around you you know because you could be working hard climbing up a mountain but if you get to the peak of the wrong summit you know then uh pain comes in in different ways mm -hmm. and um and really it's it's uh, pain station was a place where we meet our toughest adversary which is ultimately yourself you know you can't compare yourself to um the next person when you're in a when you're really in it to be the best that you can be you know there's always somebody that's better at us in one way shape or form and uh and and that's okay you know that's what pushes us to improve in that area you know, and somebody else improve, pushes us to improve ourselves in another area. So we always encourage our athletes to, you know, one, work your strengths, you know, and two, when you're faced with adversity, um, to really work at it, to really go into it. You know, and it, and it's not about minimizing your weaknesses or, you know, but it's really going towards where you can be the best that you can be not letting yourself get kind of deterred from that and facing the obstacles, overcoming them and, uh, pushing forward. I love that. Like, like, uh, it really was a, a meeting place for, you know, the groups of athletes to come and show up and deal with the responsibility that it is trying to be their best. Right. And then sometimes your pain points. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, will will go to a gym, for example, as an athlete and say, I need to work on my weaknesses. My coach said I was slow. My coach said I was this, mm. but you know, your pain points can also be the responsibilities of having to do consistently what you're extremely, extremely good at. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you were around someone, you know, as high caliber as a, you know, Vincent Leclavier, like everyone wants to be a scorer until they're not scoring. And it's been, you know, yeah. three, four, six games. I'm like, oh my God, is this guy ever going to be the same? Yeah. 
um, you know, heavy lies the crown that way. So, and, and I think that, you know, I've trained a bit on my own, uh, similarly, kind of a similar story with my, you know, trainer that I work with in Chicago with Ian Mack mm-hmm. and you know, he's got his thing, you know, Tomahawk science now and started with just me. And then, you know, we had a couple guys and, you know, now he's got a whole stable, but there's something special about that. I, I enjoy the solo time, but there's something special about the the group dynamic yeah. where, you know, you're King Tut after one of the drills, you're the one that won. And then all of a sudden you're getting your ass handed to you in, in a different, you know, uh, you know, physiological demand. And yeah. It, it it keeps it so fresh and uh you know that's the beauty of of athletes at a high level is they can show up day after day after day yeah. and still have that fire uh, but the group the group and the, the group dynamic i found was you know always so important for that uh, you just nailed something for me which i noticed a lot in uh, the athletes that performed at the highest level um it's always a combination of things you know there's luck you undeniably there is the genetics there is the support so everything that goes around supporting you know and it could be friends and you know loving family or you know in the absence of those there's other things a good coach good mentors good teammates good you know so there's so many conditions and um what i found the pro was really good at was being consistent in their effort and you know it would it would irk me yeah Vinny Lecavalier would always ask me how many reps how many sets and I'm completely on the other scale you're done when you're done you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, but obviously he's very talented very successful athlete and um he was and same thing with Matt Lombardi you know let me know let me know what you know because there was an exactness to the things that they did, you know, in terms of um, setting a bar, having a standard and not overdoing it, but not underdoing it too. You know? And because um, you could, you could be the fittest hockey player out there. And I've seen it time and time again and not have the, um, not have your shot, not have the the chance. And, you know, you're pushing so much, like I said, you're climbing this other mountain on the other side when you really should be here, you know, on, on the, so it's, um, well, that's where, that's where your relationship as a high performing athlete yourself, because you said earlier, you, you really investigate, I wrote it down every way possible for Mm -hmm. getting, there are failures there's realizations where you're like, you know, I've been chasing this rabbit and I think this energy is going the wrong direction. I need to, I need to change course. And that's a tough place to be as an athlete. You know, sometimes there's hard conversations that have to be had, you know, with the coach that maybe uh, you, you don't think is any longer serving you. You, you think you've met, you know, somebody else, whatever. Um, but you, it is something if you want to play a long time. So I'm in my ninth year and I mean, I, that really is how I think I need to be better in every way possible and hockey's unique in that you have, you know, this off ice, you're, you're a human being first, right? And the hockey player second. So you're, you're coming in the off season, you're trying to create this condition as a healthful person to even be able to withstand the landscape of 82, you know, hockey games and then playoffs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got all the, the, the skill side, you've got, you know, the way certain coaches want you to play, um, 
you know, and, and something I've always appreciated, you know, learning from the mixed martial arts is, you know, kind of the mind and spirit uh, mm-hmm. part, you know, and, and I, I want to ask you, you know, as a coach and as a man, as a husband and all the things that you, you reminded me of in the intros, like this is something I've had to think about as a player and something I've challenged, you know, younger players on. If you ask a lot of young players, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses as a player? They've got, they've got the full NHL scouting report on themselves. You know, I'm 6'2", 210. I protect the puck well. My backhand's no good, um, you know, but I'm working on it. And I, you know, I like to stand in front of the net a lot. Uh, but if you were to ask, you know, what are your values as a person? You know, sometimes there's a gap there. And I think knowing that and, and having that well-roundedness, like you were saying, in, in, in diversifying your, your forms of support um, can be extremely productive as a person first yeah. and then as a player. So, you know, is this something that entered into the conversation at Payne Station? Is this something that's on top of mind uh, for you as a teacher and coach? And, and frankly, what are some of your you know, values that you try to bring you know, to the table day in, day out for your athletes? This is a very important question. And I think that when we were at Payne Station, there were, we were writing the playbook as we were going. And, um, for many of the trainers that were there, we had, you know, uh, fantastic trainers. We worked almost by committee, you know, like, oh, let's divide and conquer and, uh, you know, for the different levels and different ages. And, you know, Vinny would train with me, then we train with Ken or some, you know, like some yeah. other, some other trainers. We, we took what was best of ourselves and imparted that on each athlete there. And, um, I have this uh, list of tenets of Taekwondo. So what are the, the principles that, uh, that we kind of live by? And um, one of them is perseverance, right? So pushing through. But I think perseverance is missed when there's not a clear goal that you're setting your path towards. So you can persevere, but you have to have goals, and those goals need steps to achieve that then there's indomitable spirit so what if you know you cannot succeed or what if your chances of failure are so high you know that there's no guarantee for you what do you do in the face of that adversity you know do you does your motivation wane does your spirit drop or does it fire you up and say, you know, I'm going to tackle this one? And it, I, I don't mean a chronic, you know, like uh, looming goal. I want to be, you know, something that I'm not. Uh, I mean something that is, this is a real roadblock right now. You know, I blew out my knee. I need to have surgery. I need to, you know, rehab. And I want to come back 100% and even better, you know. And um, the other one is integrity. You know, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, am I living what's inside outside? You know, am I projecting what's inside or am I projecting an image of somebody that I'm not? You know, and it's it's more about the values part, not so much fake it till you make it. Because yeah. there's, a, there's a fair amount of that, you know, like you're aspiring to be. So before you're actually there, you got to, you know you got to act that way until you, you, you make it. But 
it's more of a value centered mm-hmm. approach. Meaning, you know, uh, did I lie? You know, am I lying to myself? Am I lying to somebody else? You know, you know the truth. Did I put in the work? You know, so your integrity is uh, an important one. And I, the other one is courtesy. So courtesy, what you give back, you know, how you, because you're not in it alone. You know, you cannot do these things with other people, uh, without other people. And, and that's, you know, family, friends, coaches, colleagues, um, whether it's an organization or a family or, or a team or, you know, there's a, I always saw the, an athlete is at the center of a performance wheel with the nutritionist and the psychologist and the friends and the family and the coach and the physician coach and the, you know, like the, the, the trainer of the team, the strength and conditioning coach, like you have to, you have to consider people around you, you know? So, um, so for me, those are, are values that are, or, you know, principles that I live by. Now the values are, you know, they exude the way that you are when you're, you're with people. So respect, and these are actually values for my foundation. Um, and, and, you know, you have to be living in your val- values at, the mo- at that moment. Um, so respect, determined, being determined and driven, um, having, you know, increasing your knowledge. So making sure that, you know, you are staying on top of, you know, everything you're aware of everything around you and you're increasing your knowledge and you're using that knowledge for, um, for good and, uh, for the advancement of yourself and for the others around you. Um, and I'd go as far as to say for society and, and the world. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it's things like these that it, they seem simple, but, you know, you have to, you have to believe in them. You have to live them. You have to, you know, they have to exude, um, through who you are, you know? I think that's beautiful. And I think this is a good time too, to, to start talking about your foundation champions for life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting as you look, you know, are, uh, getting to know each other is still young, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it seems to me like, you know, there's this sort of mastery of, you know, physical self, uh, this teaching of, you know, how to persevere through something hard in your Taekwondo journey to then this responsibility of, you know, here you have the dreams of others. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, Ken Hughes was, you know, trusted you with some high end, you know, talent and, and, and saw you saw a star in you for your ability to, to grow this and foster this. And so you started to do it on a community level and now with champions for life, you're tackling something on a societal level. And I think so often about, you know, God, yeah, I'm a dad now, I'm a parent. And one of the greatest gifts, you know, my dad, my mom too, but my, my dad was really the hobbyist of the, the few, like he, he, he gave me a relationship with my physical self. I spend mm-hmm. every, I wake up every day in this body. I don't get to escape this body for a second of you know, my life. Maybe in meditation, you can, you can feel like yeah. you're somewhere else, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still living and breathing and bleeding in, in this, you know, yeah. meat. And, uh, you know, 
you eventually reach the what might be the pinnacle of of what being a trainer would be, right? Mm-hmm. Extremely educated, uh, you know, practicing with really high end uh, clientele. You have a sustainable business model, you know, partners and and coaches that work for you that are are doing a nice job, um, and you decide to become a beginner, a beginner again. There's something greater at, at at stake for you. So, what is physical literacy? Why does it it need your help? You know, mm-hmm. for um, and what kind of impact have you been able to have so far? Because I think it's a it's a tremendously uh, noble cause. And mm-hmm. if I had a child that you know you know if he decides not to be an athlete, I so desperately hope that he still has a relationship with the physical self that's that's positive, that's intuitive, that's playful. Um, and maybe I'm stealing some of your answer, but uh, no, it's it's good. I think your ideas bang on. Like uh, your child is going to decide what they're going to do ultimately. Um, you know, let me just come back to pain station because there was a winding up and there was a winding down, you know, so there was a, so because it, so it wasn't like, you know, there's lots of athletes training, lots of trainers and then hard stop. I'm out, you know, so I I just don't want the people to get that impression. Um, for me, it was a, it was a journey you know, and, uh, everything runs its course and a catalyst was my brother in 2006, uh, died of cancer and, um, my kid, thank you. So my, uh, children were one and two, his kids were nine, six, and three years old. And we live close to each other. Um, he battled for three years during those three years, he couldn't work. So, um, he was my, you know, well, older brother and middle between myself, Mark, who passed away and Steve. And, um, so he started you know, coming by the studio, he'd have surgeries, recover, you know, use the studio. He'd be, or use pain station. He'd be doing his own thing. And then we started forming this idea of kind of working together, you know, cause he saw what was going on and kind of bringing him back to hockey days. And, uh, and so there was a real, when he passed away, there was a real kind of, uh, mourning, I guess, process for me. And, um, the, so this made me think, okay, well, what's the purpose of my life? You know, and that my purpose had been to compete, uh, train, and be at the highest level and help these athletes be at their highest level. There was corporate executives also training and, you know, helping that top 1%. You get that 1% extra. You know, if you can shave off uh, a tenth of a second on 100 meters, you're, you got a world record. You're, you're the fastest in the world. And, you know, person who's two one hundredths of a second behind is, is, you know, second place, you know, or, or whatever. And, um, and so it really made me question, okay, well, where do I want to put my energy at this stage in the, of my life? And I saw the term physical literacy as I was looking at the long-term development, athletic development model. And it basically is saying that, you know, you shouldn't specialize too young. 
It's good to develop physical literacy, which is basically competence in movement, your knowledge of movement, your confidence that comes with that competence. So you move well, so you're confident that you can move well, so you're motivated to do that thing. And after the motivation comes, well, I'll explore more and learn more. And so it's this cycle um, that makes you, you know, learn and continually learn and, and to, uh, to improve yourself. Um, by increasing your movement vocabulary. If you can do that in multiple environments and in different ways, then, you know, this becomes who you are. You know, we are who we, what we do and what we think and what we know. And, uh, you know, what would we be without this conversation? So at the ultimate level, physical literacy is about expressing yourself is having this movement vocabulary. And now all of a sudden we, we throw you into the situation where there's a puck and you're on skates and, you know, it's slippery and it's cold and you have a stick and you've got to get that puck over there and you've got to, you know, you've got to have your head up. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And it's fun. This is like the it best. Is. It's the best thing, you know. And um, if you are doing that, at, for music, if you're doing that for anything else, you know, this is what life is about. And so I realized that what happens is a lot of kids let, get left behind, you know, because some children have fathers like yours that bring you out, that play with you, that do all kinds of things. And, you know, maybe they're a little bit more affluent. And so you're enrolled in a swim and gym program and you're enrolled in this and you you're signed up for that and you have all this uh, access to developing your physical literacy. And by the way, you have access to good education and healthy food and parents that love and support you. What happens to those who don't have that, you know? And um, so in low socioeconomic communities, it's, it's tougher uh, for children who don't have that structure around them, regardless of the community they're, they're growing up in. Um, if a, a girl is not encouraged to play any sports because of, you know, the attitude of the parents or the, uh, be it, you know, their background, uh, and, you know, you, they move from another country to here where there's snow, um, you know, maybe it's like, no, we stay in the winter or we stay indoors in the winter. Whereas for us, it's our playground. We know how yeah. to move. There. Yeah, yeah. So the physical literacy part is really, you know, how do you express yourself in this world physically? You know, and how does that tie it connect you with other people? And how can you express yourself through movement? So um, it made sense to me to look at our system, our sports system, and say, you know, it really is an exclusive sports system. So my whole life I've been fighting to be on the top of the pyramid, you know, or the top of the podium. And at the exclusion of so many other people. So I thought, you know, with my brother having passed away and me with my kids that are one and two, what does my future look like? And what does their future look like? And then I was looking at the future of a lot of Canadian kids. There's a statistic that said that 84% of kids when they're at home um, and they are about to go to school, let's say they're, they're you know, uh, or they're in daycare and they're about to go to school, 84% of them are moving 180 minutes a day, going to the park and playing and playing indoors and going outside. And 
when they get into school, that drops to 14% of kids do 60 minutes a day of physical activity. So, and it's less for girls, slightly higher for boys. The average is 14. With COVID, it's 4.8%. Oh, yeah. You know? So we can can blame screen time. We could blame, you know, lots of things are, both parents are working now. It's a... you know, it's hard to to keep it going, you know, but where are our priorities as a nation? So Champions for Life was born out of this realization that there's a big problem out there, you know, and um, we need to make physical literacy as important as literacy and numeracy. So we need to learn languages and math and the subjects in school. Uh, we need to make physical literacy a priority, you know, and that requires, so we developed a program, piloted a program and slow steps, you know, from six schools to 16 to 36 to 56 to 100 to now we're in over 400 schools in our province alone. 400 schools. Wow. Out of 1500 schools. So it's, you know, to me, it is an almost unattainable goal. So, um, it, it, you know, many organizations have tried, and I realize that we will not be able to do it uh, alone. So, we've got to align with governments. We've got to align with other partners. We, you know, Montreal Canadian Children's Foundation has been our lead partner for the past six years. They've been a tremendous support. Um, so for me, this is a whole new adventure. This is a, you know, I, I took the athlete's hat and I just turned it around and started training athletes, you know, or vice versa, yeah. you know. And, but this one, I dove into the deep end of something that now I'm executive director and founder of the foundation. I have to, you know, uh, I have to recruit a board. We've got to manage the board. We've got a leadership team. You know, there's so much business development, our operation systems, our, you know, the technology we want to use to grow and scale our impact, uh, measuring impact, you know, so it's been, you know, the first and, and continues to be in a tremendous learning experience for me. And I, I can only um, liken it to trying to become national uh, champion you know, in uh, Taekwondo, you know, this, this challenge that I have right now is to that degree, to that same degree times a hundred for me, you know, I'm out of my comfort zone in so many ways. Um, And at the same time, well, in the, the bridge between pain station, my athletic career and champions for life, was a great way for me to to sunset my athletic career and to get to enjoy this journey that all these other athletes have been on, like John Landry, you know, and uh, Vinny Calvi and Matt Lombardi, and, and uh, to be part of their journey. But their their struggle was theirs, you know. We we're just I just had a privilege to uh, and and our team to and all the athletes, you know. It was a whole community. Um, so yeah, that's where you know, Champions for Life uh, started. And I think 
it's really not about building champions and sport champions because we're helping kids between the age of four to eight, giving them basic movement literacy skills for life. So it's about the values of championing a life that you can thrive with. So one that, you know, it's not about just what's between the ears, what's here, your body, it's that whole thing, you know, and how do we be the best person that we could possibly be and neglect our bodies and neglect it, how we move uh, through this world. I think that it's a huge piece and, and needs to become a bigger priority. No, I think it's beautiful. And, and culturally, you know, I'm, I'm American in the United States and, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, diabetes rates and obesity rates and all these things, you know, I, I, you know, you look around kids I grew up with and just how early kids identify as, Oh, I'm, I'm a sporty kid. I'm an athletic kid. No, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm a nerdy kid. I sit at home. Um, and there's just a, there's a certain learning state that's available when movement's a part of your day. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to labor over, you know, all of the um, benefits for cognition that, you know, physical engagement has. But I think, uh, you know, socially, just being able to have things to to do with other people, ways to express this energy. Like even it's funny you, you mentioned, like, I love doing the podcast. I mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's you always have uh, depths of conversation. When you have an, an hour you know, or so of someone's undivided time that. You just don't get to, you know, in the Twitter world and phones and things like that all the time. But like my one complaint is I have to sit for an hour. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people do this, you know, at, at offices, uh, in schools and, um, you know, while I enjoy the rest, you know, we played last night and I was, you know, a little, you know, beat up physically today. I'd probably be sitting otherwise. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I got, I got, you know, lucky based on the part of culture that I grew up in. And I, I really appreciate someone with, with your tenacity, your value structure, um, and, and, and really the open-mindedness to, to, to look at the whole game you're playing with pain station. And, and, and I'm sure it was a lot of fun and, you know, created a quality of life for, for you and your family and your athletes, like mm-hmm. splint awesome while it lasted. But, you know, the journey you're on now, is tremendously more difficult, I'm sure, in terms of creative energy. Um, you know, just the, the level of influence that you must, you know, have to foster, you know, with board members and with, you know, government officials. Mm. And, you know, these are big systems you're trying to infiltrate. You know, the school system, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of red tape. Um, but I think the kids have, you know, I, I lived in Canada for a bit. Like, mm-hmm. they deserve to have a positive relationship with their body, or at least a chance to. It's not yeah. for that you know, at some point it's, it's their choice, but, um, you know, it, it makes me sad to see physical development, you know, so put in the corner in, yeah. in the school system. Yeah. It just the objectives of a physical education program is one, the skills that you develop. So those skills that are individual skills and team sports skills and whether they're sports specific or, you know, learning to, hike or there's all kinds of different things that we can have as physical objectives. The second one, pardon me, is, um, is the socialization, you know, so phys ed is where you develop leadership. That's where you learn to collaborate with others in ways that you don't in class, 
in in the the classroom. Yeah, um, so you need to learn to to share, to collaborate, to delegate, to um, cooperate. You know, because there's a common goal, whether you're on teams or individual, or you need to learn to organize as well. How do you organize yourself with rules and a structure to have a, a competition or a tournament or a you know a friendly match? Um, then the last component is to be doing this through an active and healthy lifestyle frame framework so this the goal of this has to be to for us to be able to move be active work together in a healthy way you know one that brings our health up and not down you know so um sport you know physical activity is part of life it's not all of life so it has to be something that, you know, moves us up, not pushes it, us down, you know, and uh, we've got to be stronger individually from it. We have to be stronger collectively from it. And it has to be done in a healthy and balanced way. That's really awesome. And in terms of, you know, for our listener, are there ways that, you know, people can, can help, that people can learn, you know, about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Um, you can certainly reach out to me um, through the uh, through the website. So maybe you can include a link to my email address. Um, but the website is www.championsforlife.ca. So that's a champions with an S for life, F-O-R-L-I-F-E dot C-A. Um, you can follow us on you know Facebook and, and Instagram. Um you can check out our annual report. But again, if you really want to get uh, more information and if you'd like to speak with me about how, you know, uh, of anything that moves you, really, I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody and uh, and whether it's for training or for helping their own children or for, you know, developing more physical literacy programs in your area, I'd be uh, more than happy to, uh, to be of assistance. I really appreciate that. And then David, I... As a young dad, um, you know, you imagine someday or I imagine someday, maybe he's an athlete, maybe he's not. But, you know, you'd want him, you know, if he makes a team to have, you know, a coach you trust him with. And I know just the influence that the the good coaches and mentors had in my life. Um, You know, I really appreciate you, you know, filling a gap that is sorely needed. I think this this attention paid to our physical body or physical self. Uh, the emotional agility that comes with that, right? Like just the ability yeah. to shape out, you know, angst, anger, uh, mm-hmm. frustration, you know, the body is a, a really intelligent vehicle for all those things. Uh, I, I applaud you. It, it sounds like an unbelievably, you know, tall task, but over 400 schools is really special. Um, and this was mostly in Quebec right now, only in Quebec? Uh, Quebec and other parts of Canada, we're starting to to scale nationally. And uh, I'm giving a conference in um, New Orleans, uh, Shape Shape America conference. So that'll be in mid-April and uh, we'll see if we can start making some inroads in in other places in the world, namely the United States. Um, Can I give you some advice as a father? Please. So, uh, because I'm I'm still there and I think uh, we'll always be uh, dads right up until uh, the day we're not here. Um, 
is just to let your kids be themselves. And uh, I see, I've, I've taught Taekwondo for 30 years now. I still teach. And I see a lot of parents um, wanting it for their children. You know, there's, there's wanting it. And then there's, you know, giving them the opportunity to, to own it themselves. But if the child is not owning it and you're having to, you know, say, no, do this, do it like that. No, I can help you. I know, I know. That's a muscle that they're not developing. When you're telling them what to do, they're not figuring it out for themselves. So whether it's a skill or whether it's how to be, you know, I think parents need to set values. So we do not have our telephones at the dinner table or, you know, between this time and this time, those are set, you know, in stone. Um, but in terms of you cannot decide what somebody is going to be and how they're going to, you know, grow. And uh, so I think the best thing is to, you know, be supportive, be their biggest fan, keep them on the straight and narrow for the values, you know, keep them close to the family. Look at yourself before you look at your child, look at your couple, you know, for me and my wife, it's, I take care of myself first. I take care of my couple because together, you know, we form a stronger team raising our children, you know, and then raise them the, the best you can and love them as much as you can. You know, it's not, it's not easy to me. This is one of the, the toughest challenges in life is to, to be um, a good parent, you know, to be a, a good person, to be a good mate. You know, if you're, if you're in a relationship and you're still privileged to be in that relationship and to be a good parent. Oh, that's beautiful. David, I, I, uh, I really appreciate your time. Um, I definitely learned a lot, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, just, just relearning things that, you know, you think, you know, until you hear it put it, uh, another beautiful way. And, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate, you know, all the work you're doing with champions for life and, and I wish you the best moving forward. Thank you, Connor. Thanks for um, having the courage to do this as well, you know, to pull all these life lessons out and to, to be searching. We should always be searching like you're doing right now, you know, and learning and, and uh, inspiring others and, and keeping, uh, keeping things rolling. It's awesome. Thank you.